Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And we're going to spend some time finding out what makes Legion tick. Get it? Because of the clock no. in, the, t- in no, the title of our... we're not okay. doing that. Okay, so <laughs> today we'll be talking about the pilot of Legion. It's called Chapter One. The episodes of Legion don't have catchy titles, so maybe we'll have to apply our own titles to them so that we can talk about them and keep them straight. It'll be easier to remember what happens in what episode as we're talking about it later. So my suggestion is to give this episode the provisional title, Happy Jack. What do you think? Sounds good. Happy Jack it is. So episode one, Happy Jack. Um, If we refer back to it in in future episodes, we'll just call it Happy Jack. Yes, exactly. So this episode was written and directed by series creator Noah Hawley. I wasn't familiar with him at all until we started watching this show. How about you? I was only familiar with him as a novel writer. I just It happens to be that he has a popular novel out right now, and in my capacity as a library worker, I'd seen that multiple times. The name just kind of stood out. Oh, that's the guy I know, but I haven't read the book and don't know anything really about him. So. And turns out he's also the creator of, also on FX, the TV series Fargo, based on the Coen Brothers movie yes. that was highly critically acclaimed and popular... I'm moderately popular. It, so. I've never seen it. Yeah. And I don't even know if it's still on. Maybe we could find that out. So, this episode of Legion is extra long. I thought at first it was double length and that we would have to cut our discussion in half. Uh, but, in fact, it runs 68 minutes compared to an average length for Legion episodes so far of 45 minutes. So this isn't twice the length of a regular episode. It's not even one and a half times the length. But it is extra long. Shall we get into our beat-by-beat discussion of Happy Jack? Absolutely. Go for it. So we begin looking up at skeletal trees and a grey sky as a happy baby coos and the Who song Happy Jack plays. In a montage, we see a pudgy baby growing up and growing troubled. Finally, the music ends and we see adult David, played by Dan Stevens, shirtless and gaunt in a grey room. A half-naked woman lies behind him on the bed, Voices whisper incoherently, and he places his head in a noose to hang himself. The taut extension cord of the noose fizzles and is replaced by a candle as David's sister sings happy birthday to him. It's quite an opening. Like, it's... The song is... Honestly, a little something about it is the song is very British, and I assume, since I already knew that Stan, Dan Stevens was British, I thought it might be a British show, and then it isn't. It's American. <laughs> when he's hanging himself, there is what looks like boat portholes behind him that are circles and later on you'll see that scene again and it's not circular windows that's an interesting thing is that it changes based on things think little things that you see in this intro we'll see again in the future and they'll be different they won't be the same i noticed i didn't think of those as boat portholes i thought of them they're circular lights shining right towards the camera putting everything in shadow i thought of them as like spotlights yeah headlights headlights perhaps he's like in the headlights, yeah. deer in the headlights kind of thing. I thought of them as like uh, stage lights, like uh, spotlights. Oh, interesting. So, again, and I thought of it as, you know, there's something staged and constructed about what we are seeing. Hmm. There's like, you know, like if the boom mic came into the shot, except that it's clearly deli- very deliberate, hmm. but it seemed like... Like lighting, stage lighting. And I'm probably going to bring up again and again in this episode, there are circles on the walls everywhere. In this opening montage, there is a pain scale behind him, which right. is like the faces from happy to painful 
that are his face on a wall behind him in like a psychiatrist's office in little circles. Really? And they're his face. Are they adult him or him at the time of that? I think they're like teenage him. Right. I'd have to check again, but I'm, but they're not. I don't think they're adult him. Okay. They're like him in that moment, which is him as a teenager. He's played by di- by different actors all throughout up until he's an adult. Yeah, the montage is several different actors playing him. I I, I thought this montage as an opening to the show did an incredibly good job. And I wanted to, you know, my original draft of this beat by beat, I had, you know, quite a bit of discussion of every moment in this montage. And Jan convinced me that that was too much. But the, uh, the way that it takes us in two minutes from happy pudgy baby to gray disturbed, uh, gaunt adult David and every step is only one step, right? They don't make a dramatic, uh, cut from something to something else that's dramatically different, but they take us little step by little step to how a child becomes a disturbed adult. And that felt very, even though this is a show about, we find out, uh, or we come in already knowing it's a show about mutants, it's a show about superpowers, or even it's a show about, you know, uh, psychosis and mental illness and uh, delusional person possibly. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's something very uh, relatable and uh, moving about, you know, no matter who you end up as an adult, you started as a baby and that happens in steps. It doesn't happen all at once. And whether it's you grow into a super powerful mutant or you grow into a suicidal, mentally ill adult, that still happens in steps. And I really liked the way that they they emphasize that. And it seems like... Throughout this show, we're going to just continue to see how he got to where he is. It's yeah. all about David's memory. It's all about David's life and how he got to where he is. Did you notice um, as he stands to hang himself, a dark figure walks behind him in the background? Uh, yeah. And it's, we'll soon learn it's the figure that the creature that David calls the uh, devil with yellow eyes. So the devil with the yellow eyes is there as he's about to hang himself. And most of the voices we hear whispering are saying things like, no, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, the devil with le- yellow eyes walks past and just looks at him. And it's especially unsettling. if you do, like. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't notice it until the second time. Yeah, but absolutely. I knew there's the, a lot unsettling about this scene more than just you know the fact that someone's about to hang himself. And he's hanging himself with an extension cord. Like, it's so different from a rope. Yeah. It's an extension cord. Like, it's... A weird symbol to have this uh, symbol of power, right. almost, to be used for for yeah. hanging when that's not a normal thing you'd see. You'd always on TV. You'd always see a rope. Yeah, I suppose. I think uh, I feel like hanging with an extension cord is a trope. Is it? I feel like it's a. a it symbolizes using what you can. It's uh, yeah. symbolizing hanging yourself, but... Uh, He's not prepared to hang yes. himself. It's a, yeah, okay. Exactly. That makes sense. Also, I wanted to say, uh, throughout the montage and throughout this whole thing, David is always in the exact center of the shot. Um, that's a handy way to make sure the audience recognizes that it's always the same person throughout the montage, but it's also, you know, symbolically, this is all about him. Yeah. Right? He's in the center. Everything is happening around him and revolves around him. He's in his own head and we're in his head and we're focused on his head and he's in the middle of everything. Mm -hmm. And everything else is chaos. It feels like for him and for 
us as the audience, we see that chaos and we feel that chaos right off the bat. It's very frenetic pacing, this beginning of this opening montage, and it feels a little like it's making you go crazy just watching it. Yeah. And that shows what he is what he is like. Do you want to say anything about the choice of song? I was not familiar with the song at all. I'm not a musical person, so I didn't know Happy Jack, but I like it. And it's really, <laughs> we, it makes you feel weird because it's not, the music doesn't go in a direction you expect it to. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I'm not a, the biggest Who fan in the world. I like The Who plenty, but I'm not familiar with The Who particularly. So I didn't know this song either, but I recognize it as The Who. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, musically, it's in 4-4 four, four time, but the uh, every uh, third measure, the beat starts where you don't expect it to. So it yeah. goes da, 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 and it feels off kilter. Yeah. Um, and then the lyrics are all about, you know, uh, the kids tried to hurt him, but they couldn't. Mm-hmm. And it's the lyrics are kind of cheerful and fairy tale, but at the same time, the fairy tale of that song is about someone who can't be hurt because he's disconnected from the world around him. Uh, and it feels to me like a, a statement of intent for the episode, if mm-hmm. not the series as a whole, that it's about the, the song and the episode are about do you connect with the world and get hurt? Do you stay disconnected from the world and possibly not get hurt? Do you allow things to influence you? Are you in your own head? Are you connected to the people around you? Like, that's what the song's about. That's what the episode's about. Possibly that's what the show's about. Mm -hmm. We fade in on the sparkler on a cupcake as a woman. David's sister, Amy, played by Katie Asselton, tries to celebrate his birthday with him. She says she'll speak to his doctor. He seems better to her. As he walks out of the interview room, he whispers to her, something new needs to happen soon. In the hospital, David and his friend Lenny, played by Aubrey Plaza, see a new patient, Sid, played by Rachel Keller. David tries to connect with her, offering her Twizzlers, but he accidentally bumps into her and she flees, muttering, too close. There's another disorienting montage, flashes of what we've seen before, what's yet to happen, as a voiceover asks again and again, How does that make you feel? David sleeps and the light shifts red. How does that make you feel? The voice asks if the devil with yellow eyes is here now and David's bed begins to float. David awakes in a fright, crashing back to earth and breaking his bed and orderlies rush into his room to sedate him as he insists that needles and violence are not necessary. Um, It's interesting. The very first part of what happens here with his sister and him they're in this room that feels like a jail. Like I yeah. was, I thought it was jail when they first, when it first came there, it's covered in the word welcome in different yes. languages, which is odd. And behind her, there's this old man and old woman. And she says like, you're not still seeing people. And they're there and they're kind of laughing and like, yeah, it seems like they're they, not really there. That's one of the questions. Are they really there? Because they, don't they seem very impassive they don't really react she doesn't react to them they're not there as guards there are guards there but they don't seem to be guards and they don't kind of they laugh when she says you're not seeing people that aren't there and the two people in the corner laugh so i think it's obvious that they're not really there. they're not there but they're not someone we see in the future from like you might almost think that think they're his parents except not right and 
Um, he also mentions in this part that uh, it's just Thursday. It's the 260th Thursday since he's been here, and that is five years. If that, if he's not exaggerating, yeah, it's been five years that he's been in the mental hospital. Yeah, and she brings him this cupcake that is very, you know, kind of a sad little cupcake, and she can't even give it to him. Yeah, and so that even more feels like a jail. Like I can't pass this to you because it's like a jail. Yeah. The cupcake, absolutely. It's a little sad symbol. It's all he gets for his birthday and he doesn't get it. It's symbolic of, you know, his sister's affection for him, which is small mm-hmm. and paltry and uh, he does, can't even really access. And then she starts eating it herself. Yeah. Symbolically, the hospital is denying him affection, is denying him connection to the world outside, yeah. right? She, he literally can't take anything from the world outside. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I also agree. It, it was very jail-like in that first uh, section. Mm. What is, do you have any theories about the welcome all over the wall? I don't. It's just an odd thing to have there, this, all this welcome. Like, it took me a while, to, like, I noticed the words, and then it took me a while to realize, to find, like, the English Right. But it said welcome, and then I realized it said it in... In many languages, and there's a lot more not English than there is English. And by that, I don't just mean that there's, you know, ten languages and English is only one of them. I mean, like, Bienvenue is there more than once. Oh, really? Other mm-hmm. languages of welcome are there more than once, but the English word welcome I only found once. Yeah. So... I mean, there's just so much in the background of these episodes that you can't apart every single thing like it must it kind of means something but it could just mean like welcome but also unwelcome yeah and this is part of what i was saying in the introduction in our teaser episode about uh the show being surreal that there's details that the show draws your attention to and do they mean something or are they just there like the people in the corner why are they old why are they sitting on chairs why are they it feels all significant, but it could just be to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and that is a significance itself. So in the hospital as well, we have the starting to realize what the aesthetic of the show is, which is it's 70s, sort of. His sister is dressed like it's the 60s, it's, but it's... She and like a and they're all... Yeah, and all the, all the um, patients in the mental hospital in Clockworks are wearing these orange jumpsuits. And with hair that is very styled, like it's the 70s, but it becomes this retro future because there's elements of technology that are going to come up in this episode that don't line up with 70s. So it's unclear exactly what time frame are we in? Hmm, I don't know. Is it just that people have technology beyond the years and it, it is literally the 70s? Or is it some kind of future that's incorporating the styles of the 70s? Yeah. I love the aesthetic of the show, frankly, but it also is uh, disorienting and off-putting. Like, mm-hmm. You can't easily place it in time, and yeah. they deliberate, I think, deliberately, but they uh, make it difficult to orient things in time. And even the 260th Thursday, right, that's a, a specific detail, but no one's going to, off the top of their head, know what that means in terms of how long. So they're giving us an amount of time that he's been there, but not an amount of time that we can easily interpret. Exactly. Right? 
you know, you feel like it's a long time. And then when I thought about it, I'm like, wait, is that a long time? And then I had to look it up and calculate if that, how long that was. I'm like, okay, yeah, that is a long time. That's, yeah. Yeah, that is, that is off-putting. It's something, uh, the wrong time is interesting because we used to watch the show Gotham. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it took place in this weird, like, time that wasn't time. Did they use typewriters or computers? And, like, what actual time period was it? And it drove me crazy to the point if I didn't like it. Whereas this, the aesthetic and the interestingness of it, I like it so much that it doesn't matter what time it's in. And I can just ignore the fact that it's weird. But I do really, really notice it. It's something that I always notice in shows. I'm always trying to figure out where exactly in history this is. Right. But with this, since so much of it is strange, I can ignore that part. Um, when uh, he's flashing around, the orderly is pushing him around, and he's having these presumably delusional flashes. Mm-hmm. One of the flashes is of something that we're going to see in a future episode, and no spoilers into what this means and why, what uh, the significance of it, but... Eventually, we've seen the first four episodes as we're recording this. We're not going to give plot spoilers, but we may give references to things that are going to show up, especially in the aesthetic. But one of the flashes is of the angriest boy in the world. Yeah. It's going to show up in a future episode, and it's going to continue to be important in future episodes, but we haven't heard of him yet, and we don't know what that means, but it's... And there will be, I mean, the entire introduction is, will be referenced yeah. In the future, in future episodes. And that's kind of amazing how they're, yeah, they're really constructing this show piece by piece. And it's, it's like a house of cards almost, I think it'll come down <laughs> yeah, in the end. Absolutely. Who knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, I also want to draw attention in this, uh, our first introduction to Clockworks to some of the color scheme. Mm, yeah. The patients are dressed in colors, mostly orange. They're dressed in the orange jumpsuits, but they have colors underneath they have like a you know, a bit of shirt showing they're underneath their we keep saying jumpsuits. They're not jumpsuits, they're like sweatsuits. They're yes. leisure suits. Yes, yes, that's that's right. Um, jumpsuit is like a work uniform. Yeah, you're right. They're like leisure suits, exactly. They're mostly orange with a stripe on the sleeves, but they're not actually uniform. Mm-hmm. They're you know, similar, but they're not all identical. Yeah. And the uh, staff are dressed in black and white. Yeah. So the patients are dressed in colors. The staff are dressed in black and white. Both David and Sid wear shirts with big, thick stripes up the sleeves, which is not, not everyone does. That's Mm. not universal in all the track suits. Yeah. Um, So is that a visual link between those two characters? They have this visual element in common. Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, Sid wears a black shirt or black top uh, in her first appearance, and then she'll continue to. But the staff wear black. Uh, mm-hmm. She has the orange jumpsuit, the orange tracksuit pants, the orange track pants. She's wearing black on top, like the staff do. Yeah. That's so interesting. What is, I. I mean, the question I asked you the other day, and I still am thinking about, is is Sid a plant? Is Sid, does Sid uh, come to the come to the mental hospital to find David or to find other mutants, or does does she not know that she's a mutant yet? 
Because yeah. she seems like she knows something, which her first scene is very much, I she knows. There's also visuals. an element I just realized about if Sid, Sid wearing the outfit of the staff, she helps David more than any of the staff do. Right. She is, as if we think of that as, you know, a symbol for David specifically, he sees her as someone to help him, and she does help him. Eventually right. she helps him so much. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I also want to notice something about the aesthetic of the hospital. It's very, you know, clinical in a 70s kind of way, like, uh, you know, circles and round and... More circles on the wall. Uh, more circles <laughs> on the wall. One of the walls is completely covered in foliage. Right. Like possibly fake, possibly real, possibly David's delusion. But it's and not then there's just, a guy who's hiding in it. Yeah, and there's a guy who's hiding in it. And every time we see it, that guy continues to be there hiding in it. And, like, it's not just there are some plants on the wall. Like, it is a wall completely made of plant matter. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was just, like, so they could pretend that they were outside. Like, within the world? Within the for world. The sake of for the, the sake of the, yeah. Yeah, the patients that they can get some kind of feeling as if they're outside without being allowed to have any outside. Yeah. So it's again like this idea that um, it, it's the natural, the wall of nature really emphasizes how artificial their world is. Yeah. <laughs> instead of the opposite. Yeah. Um, yeah. The guy in the wall, I just don't know what's up with that yet. No. I feel like that might come again. I don't know. You, you feel like, okay, he's a mental patient who needs to be invisible. <laughs> Maybe. That's what I assumed. And I assumed that he was David's delusion, <laughs> that he wasn't he really there. He might be as well, because going to the end of the episode, the devil with the yellow eyes is in foliage in a very yeah, similar way. Yes. And so that could be a connection there. And I just also want to draw attention in this section, this to the soundscape of the hospital. We have, uh, we start off with the who, but then when we get to the hospital, it's very strings and trombones. Mm -hmm. And the devil with the yellow eyes has a jazz score, yes. a discordant trombone jazz score. And every time the devil with the yellow eyes first appears in this section we we're just talking about, but through the rest of the episode, every time he shows up, we get bah, 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 trombones and red lights. The lighting changes yeah. to red when the devil with yellow eyes is around. Uh, so he, the the show tells us that he's the devil with yellow eyes, but actually I'm thinking of this now. If we watch it, can we tell that he has yellow eyes because it's usually a red filter when he shows up? No, it seems... No. Maybe I'll watch it again, but I felt like he really did have yellow eyes. Okay. I think he does. But um, So, how does that make you feel? <laughs> A new day, David and Lenny are at a group therapy session. David's talking about his delusions. I know what I am. He's had a bad history. Sid joins the group therapy. She suggests that David's problems are not in his head. David's not normal. Neither was Einstein or Picasso. Not being normal is what makes him him. David asks if she will be his girlfriend. And she agrees as long as he doesn't try to touch her. Another montage of Sid and David's growing relationship as the Rolling Stones She Comes in Colors plays. Sid stares out the window, imagining herself outside the hospital, and the light changes from blue to red. This part is really sweet. 
the part where they're holding a strap instead of yeah. holding hands. That part is very sweet. Lenny seems like she's got some jealousy. Yeah. When we first see them all in group together and she says, and he asks her to be his girlfriend, she's, there's a little look that Lenny gets that feels like jealousy. But also, I mean, I watched this, when I very first watched this episode, I was like, Lenny must be in his head. Because she keeps expressing his feelings. She keeps monologuing behind him like this little, like, devil on his shoulder, angel on his shoulder, whatever. Yeah, in the previous scene, when Sid first appears, he's, David is just staring at her, but Lenny's the one who's like, oh, hold the phone. Who's that? Yeah. What's going on? Who's she? A new con-. And then here again, Lenny says out loud what it Yeah, I like this like. girl. She's got moxie. Like... Yeah. David just is kind of staring at her, mm-hmm. not saying much, but it seems like, yeah, Lenny yeah. is articulating. And I mean, like, Aubrey Plaza is knocking it out of the park. She's yeah. so good in this role. She is. Yeah. One of the things that gets said, now I can't remember what scene it's in, is he mentions what I did to Dr. Poole. That's the scene, That's yeah. the scene. And we don't know yet at all what that is. And as of four episodes in, we kind of know but that's definitely just a throwaway line that will be really significant mm-hmm. in the future. I don't Dr. know if I want to say any more about that, but Dr. Poole will be a character. Dr. Poole's going to come up again. When Sid, when they're at the group therapy session, and there's, again, a lighting thing, the light is coming in through a doorway, and Sid walks out of soft focus, out of the light, into the group therapy session, sits down, drops some truth bombs, gets up and walks back into soft focus light. So mm. she, she's... You know, like a vision or like yeah. a... Well, like an angel. She's got the light behind her. Exactly. Like a, like a, yeah. Like and an angelic vision. And she comes and, you know, like I said, drops truth bombs. But she gives David genuine insight. As yeah. we go on to the show, we find Absolutely. out even more how genuine it is. But for, you know, this is, a, again, a trope in fiction about mental hospitals. And I hope is not accurate to how mental hospitals really are. But... The staff and therapists are useless. Yeah. <laughs> They're not giving him help in coping with his reality, but she does. Yeah. Going back to the foliage on the walls, the group therapy has a faux tree wallpaper. So a second ago, we had a wall that was completely covered in real plants. Now suddenly we have a wall that's wallpaper with uh, yeah, fake, like, bamboo on it. Bamboo yeah. on it. I noticed that too. I um, don't know what to make of it, no, but it seems but like, just... you know, if the artificial wall was artificial, emphasizing the artificiality of their life, now we have, it's even more artificial. Yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. maybe. And again, we see the man in the walls. Yeah. A flashback during the montage of David and Amy's... David and Sid. David and Sid, sorry. David and Sid's relationship, which I agree is very sweet. There's intercut with that montage. There's flashes of David's childhood and his childhood with Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's maybe the last good relationship he had. Maybe. There's some kind of connection being made between Sid and Amy, between Sid and David and Amy and David. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, because the last time he had a good relationship might yeah. be what we're what we're going for here, and it is part of what makes the relationship sweet, mm-hmm. um, as they connect it to a childhood innocence and a childish. Any yeah, I think because it's a relationship without any physical element, 
seems innocent, seems sweet, seems, you know, I don't know what exactly that is about, but the fact that they can't kiss or touch or anything like that makes it seem very naive naive and sweet and cute and childlike. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. We cut to David being interrogated, apparently, by the police. What we've seen so far seems to have been David's account of things to an interrogator. Yeah, well, basically we have to refer to this part as the present. This is the present that is occurring. Everything else is in the past. Yeah. So we, in the present, the interviewer, played by Hamish Linklater, who doesn't have a name and I'm going to call him Hamish, uh, (laughs) refers to Sid as the girl who disappeared. Hamish tells David that the hospital has no record of Sid. Both David and Hamish make vague references to an incident, and David tells the interviewer to talk to his psychiatrist. We cut to a memory of David talking to his psychiatrist, and David doesn't want to talk about his suicide attempt. But the voices didn't tell him to kill himself, they tried to stop him. But the police found no noose in his apartment. And how does that make you feel? A girl is dead, and Hamish wants to know if David killed her with his mind. David's trying to tell the truth, but it's fuzzy. Flashback to clockworks. David sleeps and Sid sneaks in to sleep next to him, but no touching. She's getting out tomorrow. David tries to be happy for her, tries to kiss her, but she backs away. Hamish Linklater in the present wants to know why David couldn't touch Sid. David reminds Hamish that it was a mental hospital. At least that's what he thought then. She had issues. He's not sure. So why didn't the police find a noose in his apartment? That is weird. I still, I don't really know what that means. They didn't find a noose in the apartment? Does that mean someone took it away? I presumed that that meant that he he has telekinesis as well as telepathy. And that he has defense mechanisms. He tried to kill himself, but his mind wouldn't let himself kill himself. Right, yeah. And so he made the noose disappear. Right, that makes sense. There were marks on his neck, but no noose in the apartment. Yeah. Um, And what happened to the woman that was on the bed? We never really find that out. No. Maybe in the future we will. Maybe we will. Presumably in future episodes we hear about a girlfriend that he has had. Is that her? It feels like that's after she's left. Yeah. So we don't really know. But anyway, yeah, so there's this half-naked girl. That what, What was she doing? What happened to her? Did she leave? Did she wake up and he was hanging? It's really unclear. It is. There's a, in that part where Sid is in bed with him, there is the sounds of the hospital going on. She tells him that she's leaving and the sounds in the hallway are angry sounds. And I, and the second time I watched this, I went, wait, are those the sounds of the hospital? You just assume that that's, you know, oh, it's the sound of the mental hospital. Or are those in his head? Yeah. Is he having angry voices in his head going, you know, don't do, don't leave me, don't leave me. And the second time watching this as well, I listened with headphones. And it's so, the voices are so much freakier when you have it right in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting, these shows now that maybe have a little extra for those of us who watch with headphones. Right. And then what you just said about the voices in the hallway get angry, it seems to me like there's at least two possibilities both of which are uh disturbing (laughs) disturbing one is if it is the sounds of the hospital the people outside get angry because he's angry 
So he's able to make other people angry. Maybe. Or if they're the voices in his head, then I have presumed, until he just said that, I had assumed that the voice he hears in his head, he he interprets as uh, psychosis, but they're actually just him telepathically hearing other people's thoughts. But if those voices get angry when he's angry, then they're not other people's thoughts. They're his thoughts. But many of them... I mean, and that's his name is Legion. So he has many people in his head. The yeah. name of the show, like, and the name of the show, and the name of him as an X Men character, of which uh, we mentioned in our introduction episode. But I'll say again, neither of us know anything about the history of Legion as an X Men character. Yeah. But Legion means many. Yeah. Right. So, if the voices get angry when he's angry, then it's not just him overhearing hearing other people's thoughts. It's thoughts that really are inside his head. Even I feel though like they're he really multiple. does hear voices. I I hadn't even thought of the fact. Like I know that he has telepathy and he hears people, but I thought most of the time he's he's actually hearing voices. Like he has, I don't know. I think he's actually yeah. hearing voices. Yeah. But are they voices? Are they real or not? Are, I thought they weren't I, real. I think that they're. I think that they're real. But are they in his head or in someone else's head? So Are they originated? I don't know. <laughs> um, flashback to Clockworks. Uh, the interrogation is starting to irritate David, and he asks angrily if they can take a break. Yeah. They'll pick this back up in 30 minutes. Hamish walks out of the room, which we now see is not an interrogation room in a police station, but a room set up in the bottom of an empty pool. That's there so are weird. guards in riot gear with automatic weapons. The pool seems to be in a school because there are people on a stage in what seems to be an auditorium as Hamish walks out. Hamish talks to a superior and confirms for the first time in this show that David is telepathic, not just crazy. David may be the most powerful mutant they've ever encountered. Hamish and his superior work for Division 1, and Division 1 wants to kill him now. Mm -hmm. Hamish convinces his superior to give him to the end of the day. What else do you want to say about this section? I know, this, it's, it's weird. It's the fact that when he walks out and he's in an empty pool, I am even like I still don't even know what on earth. Why? And we find out, I mean, again, to jump forward to the end of the episode, we find out he's in a room that's in the bottom of an empty pool that's in a building that seems to be a school, but the school itself is in the middle of the wilderness. Like, right, it's in the middle of yeah. the wilderness is where they are. They're not in the middle of a city. No. And it's all about, I think, you know... Making him as contained as possible. Afraid. They're so afraid of him. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that all the uh, guards in riot gear with automatic weapons are like, we are... They're all there for him. Yeah. There's no one else there. Everyone in this building... Is there monitoring and trying to control and contain him? Yeah. Uh, and they are not very confident about their ability to do so. Um, the I want to rightly so. <laughs> yeah, rightly so. Want to point out some of the aesthetics here too. The interviewer uh, Hamish is dressed all in brown, brownish red. Mm-hmm. His suit, shirt, tie. He's monochrome. Mm-hmm. David, in the interview, is dressed all in gray. Uh, The guy in the room with a wonky eye and a bad perm is dressed all in kind of olive green, Mm -hmm. shirt, tie, jacket, all matching. 
uh, the Division I uh, superior is dressed all in, like, uh, light gray also, um, like a, a different gray from David, a more uh, tan kind of gray. But he's also all in one color. Mm. That feels very military to me. But they're wearing suits. But they're wearing suits. I know, but, like, the... The, when he comes out to talk to the, like, in all the riot gear, that felt very military to me. Right. But he felt, like, I, when I initially watched this, call him the interviewer, call him Hamish, whatever, I thought he was a doctor. I thought he was somehow, he was, like, a court-appointed psychologist talking to him about something. And he says he's not a psychiatrist. When David no, says, okay. like, I, this is a delusion, he says, well, I'm not a psychiatrist. Right. I'm just trying to find out what happened. Yeah. We. I assumed that he was a detective. Yeah, or, yeah, that's what a, it seems like. A cop, like. right? Yeah. Except that he doesn't exactly act like a cop either. And so well, no, and that's that supposed to be, one, yeah, that's right? supposed to be off-putting. There may be an in-world reason for why these people are all dressed all in one color, but uh, I think it's more likely that there's a show aesthetic of yeah. their, you know, there's something... You, there is something uniform about them. There's something yeah. in the same way that the staff in the hospital are black and white. Like, I mean, they see things in black and white, maybe. They, mm. The Division One people are all each in one color. Like, they don't allow, they aren't ready for, they aren't happy with, they aren't able to cope with difference. Mm. Right? Yeah. And so if you yeah. want to have people who can't handle difference, you dress them all in single colors. But the people who come in with the like the machine to monitor him are wearing gray with like these pink tubes. Yeah, what is up with that? The, like... And pink belts. <laughs> what? Why? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, we're jumping around also this... Sorry, yeah. No, I, I know I'm saying the show at this yeah. point. Yeah. He's jumping around in time a lot. Yeah. Um, and that's another part of what makes it disorienting, right? And to try to write a recap of it, yeah. I keep being like, and then we jump to the past, well, and then we're back. And, present, we even, and, then we're... and we haven't even mentioned that this kitchen scene they keep flashing to again and again and again with him in a kitchen and all this stuff flying around him. We haven't seen it but flying seen around it? yet. Okay. But we've, we've seen, seen him in the kitchen, In the kitchen. Though. Yes. Is a... It keeps coming back to that. And yeah. later on, we'll see more of it in the... This show is surreal. One of the things I really noticed at this point is the show is surreal. Uh, but even in the show, even in the reality of the show, no one knows what's real. Right? Right. Like, David doesn't know what's real because he believes himself to be mentally ill, but also because there really is a conspiracy, right? Yeah. He, does he know that he's in the bottom of a pool, not in a police station? I don't think so. No, he has bare feet, and he feels the tiles with his feet at one point. Right. So it feels like at that point, he knows something. He knows, like, this is not what it seems. Yeah. And, it, and that's kind of when he gets upset. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Also point out that the table that the interview is happening on is red and really reflective and whenever david is upset in flashbacks the lights shift red yeah so red symbolizes at this point in the show red is really associated with him losing mental control mm-hmm. with him he thinks of i suppose as a psychotic break but we think of now as a you know telepathic outlash yeah but the table is red. So the table that this interview is happening over where they keep saying, keep calm, keep calm, keep calm, is happening right on top of this, you know, 
danger yeah. of him not mm. being calm. Yeah. And you have the pen that the interviewer is holding, which he keeps moving around. It's a very focal point on this table that's red. Yeah. Oh, can we mention too, this is where the past and future thing most comes into play is the Hamish interviewer guy is holding this like tablet. It looks like a book. But, like, the things are moving in it, like it's a tablet. Right. And then they go upstairs, and the cameras, like, they have several cameras on David, and they're being projected on, like, canvas. Right. On this weird, like, they're not TVs. No. They're, like, these canvas sheets. And is that mutant things, or is that weird military technology? I don't know. In terms of the costuming being 70s, like come back to the Hamish all in his brown suit and uh, the eye all in his green suit. Those don't look particularly 70s. No, you're right. They don't. In fact, they, I didn't think of this really till now, but they don't stand out because they look modern. Like you would wear a tie shirt jacket all being the same color is is not trendy now, Mm -hmm. but it's a pretty contemporary aesthetic. That's true. That's true. It's that's that's not a 70s suit. No, not at all. And the cut of the suit, I mean, I'm not a fashion person, but the cut of the suit does not say 70s. Yeah. Of any of their suits. Yeah. The the eye, the green yeah. suit, green the is The color not, of it is 70s. It feels very 70s. Yeah. And he's just so with the with the fro. Yeah. The white guy fro. It seems very 70s. What's up with and uh when they decide to take a break, um the eye stares at David, and David says, you know, can I be alone for a second? And he leaves a dog on the table. he's carving a dog. He's been carving a dog throughout, and now he leaves it on the table. Well, and upstairs with the military guys or whatever, there's something in a cage that's barking. Right. Something scary with, like, red light, and we never see that. And I'm like, does this guy power have, like, dog... He's carving the dog and he's making the dog upstairs. What is his power? I just don't like. I don't know. I mean, don't even like at this point. I don't know what. We're is four his episodes power. in and no spoilers, but we have not had answers about this eye guy yeah. yet. He's <laughs> yeah. It's really. I want to know more about him, and he's obviously going to be a thing in the show. Flashback to David just ending a fight with his girlfriend the day before his suicide attempt. The things in the kitchen move apparently on their own, flying around David in a cyclone of dishes and pots and pans. The lights flash red and we see the devil with yellow eyes. In the present, Hamish comes in with machinery they want to connect to David's head, and David realizes that everyone is afraid of him. Mm -hmm. Hamish calms David down as we flash back to the incident. Ping pong at clockworks as Sid gets ready to leave. David isn't there to say goodbye, and it's probably better that way. And then David comes running in and suddenly kisses Sid as we hear a voiceover in her voice. David, no! She doesn't speak, but we hear the voiceover. Mm -hmm. We flash to a field full of televisions. David, calm down. Sid and David both collapse. David starts screaming as Kissinger takes Mm -hmm. Sid away. We start to realize that David and Sid have switched bodies. We flash back to the interrogation. David tries to explain the body swap to Hamish. Hamish's pen starts moving on its own. David knows it sounds crazy, but Hamish just wants to be sure he's got everything right. Number one thing, I did not know that that uh, 
person, I did not recognize the person taking her out as uh, the doctor. Yeah, he's a doctor I from the group, should have. From the group okay. therapy. Doctor. That answers one simple question. Yeah. That's good. That's good to know. Um, the music, when David says, you're afraid of me, he's in the interrogation room, he says, he realizes he's afraid of me, all of a sudden the music is like a music box. It's right. like this childlike, tinkling music box music and I don't know what is up with that like he's suddenly he's reverting to childhood he's thinking about like I don't know but it was disconcerting this like sudden change in the music like that right I think I was going to draw attention again to uh some of the colors that are going on in this scene especially Sid's dressed all in black with a red scarf around her neck again the black Mm-hmm. Connected to the staff, and again the red. And she gets the coat that's also that's also red. Is it so, red or is it orange? I think it's I red. You think it's red? Okay. It's I think very, it's red. It's an orangey red. Yeah, the red is associated with like uh, David having a mental break, but it's also really Sid's color. Yeah. She wears a red scarf. She wears a red coat. Mm-hmm. She's gonna keep wearing red coat. Yeah. Um, and the scarf, always the scarf. It's like a warning. Go away. Yeah. Don't touch me. Warning, warning yes. sign. Like she wears a stop sign. Yeah. Actually. Good. You know? Good point. She's carrying a very green bag. And green yeah. has been associated with Amy, with mm-hmm. his sister. In the past, she wore a really green dress in the interrogation room. I mean, in the uh, uh, meeting room where she's singing happy birthday to him. She wore a green dress. Yeah. And in the future in this episode, she's going to be wearing green again. Yeah. But Sid's bag is green. Yeah. And it, like, strikingly green. Strikingly green. When Sid in David's, when Sid is in David's body, she also sees red lights and the jazz music plays. Yeah. Like, she sees the devil with yellow eyes, but even more, is that the show being, giving us some continuity for the audience's sake? Or is that jazz music something that David's actually hearing? And the red redshift lights, like that's what I wondered. Like, is she seeing those red lights? I mean, and later on, the doctor goes into the into that room, and it's all glowing red. Like, it feels yeah. like maybe it's the warning lights for lockdown for the hospital. Right. So maybe the red lights in the hospital are literally They're there, literally there, some of the time, anyway. Yeah. And Which is why he would associate it with this negative feeling. Right. So sometimes they're there, literally, and sometimes they're not. And this also starts this question. I mean, it's going to get even stronger in the next scene. Uh, so maybe we should talk about that. But um, of Sid is in David's body and Sid experiences David's reality, right? Yeah. So his, the voices and the, his, his psychic powers, but also his psychosis, if there is one, yeah. exists in his physical brain. When yeah. she switches bodies with him, she has his power, she has his world, she has his del- delusions, if they are delusions, like the yellow, the devil with yellow eyes is associated with David's body. Yeah. Right? That is interesting. Very interesting, yeah. And like, so this is David experiencing for the first time what it would be like to not to have those things. Yeah. They don't really do much with that, no, actually. They, they do don't. a lot with Sid experiencing those things, but they don't make much of David not experiencing those yeah. things. And so it does, it is like the mutation the is in the physical body. There's nothing to do with the mind, with the soul. 
yeah, whatever that is, the consciousness is not the mutation. The consciousness goes with only the physicals because when she changes consciousness, they have her power and she has theirs. Yeah. That is That's interesting very interesting. Too. Um, I was going to draw attention to the fact that Kissinger, when he's taking Sid out of the hospital, is dressed himself all in black, all black yeah. monochromatic black again. And then after they kiss and they, we know looking back on it that they've switched brains, but at the moment we don't know what's happening. We just mm. know something is happening. Uh, they're upside down. Yeah, the so camera, the turns, camera upside turns upside down because they're topsy-turvy. They're both... It's like the upside down in Stranger Things. It is. <laughs> um, Not really. And of course, also, I just, uh, when <laughs> I have to laugh that when he's in her body, he like, you know, looks at his hand, looks at himself, and then immediately grabs her breasts. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, how she, how, no, she, no, she's a woman. Yeah. yeah. That's what you do. Um, back to clockwork. Red lights. Kissinger enters Clockworks and finds the place awash in red light and a sinister atmosphere. A ping-pong ball bounces up to his feet. Sid, or rather David and Sid's body, follows him into Clockworks, where they find people screaming in panic trapped in their rooms. All of the doors have disappeared. There's rubbish and blood on the ground, and David and Sid's body sees Lenny dead, trapped halfway in a solid wall. This is the incident. Yeah. David and Sid's body listens to a wall and hears Sid and David's body calling for him. We cut back to the interrogation room to confirm that David and Sid switched bodies and David didn't do it. Or at least, he doesn't think he did. Hmm. What is with the ping pong ball? The ping pong ball bouncing across the floor. And then that also reminds me of in the previous scene, why are the ping pong paddles square? Because there's weird things with round and square in this show. There's circles on the wall at the pool. There's more circles on the walls. Right. And there's, yeah, the ping pong paddles are square. I don't know, just to be weird. Just to be off-putting. Is that a I don't think you'd ever have square (laughs) ping pong paddles in real life. Maybe you it's would. Been, I feel like, of all things in a mental hospital, you feel like it would be as rounded and as pleasant as possible. So you would have, like, happy round ping pong paddles, not scary square <laughs> hurt people in ping pong paddles. Ping, square ping pong paddles are definitely not the natural order thing. No, but they're and then the not. fact that the ping pong paddles are square, I mean, I'm not I'm maybe making too much of this, but then the bouncing ping pong ball you know, is strange and weird and off-putting because we've already seen that ping-pong is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, where did it come from? It's just the thing is, like, I don't know, everything's been done and it's just the last thing bouncing. And I mean, like, a ping-pong ball will bounce for a long time. Very true. It's a thing. You know, it's not really, I don't think it's necessarily symbolic rather than just everything has slammed and all that's left is the ball bouncing is left. And maybe it means it's shows that this didn't happen very long ago. No, this just happened. Yeah. Um, again, though, again with the red lights. Yeah. Red lights. <laughs> um, and that's why I think that it's not his head, necessarily, because these are two characters who are not in his head seeing They still red see lights. red lights so everywhere, like maybe, or maybe they see it, maybe they don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you need... 
Hamish in the interrogation room really spells this out. You have switched bodies. Did we need that? Are we following that by this point? Um, I feel like maybe I needed it. There's a lot of confusing elements in the show, and to, so to actually spell it out, I think that was a wise choice in the writing right. to say that. Did you feel like it wasn't? I felt, um, I mean, at, at the time, the first time I watched it, I didn't think it was too much. Mm-hmm. But um, when, since we know that Hamish knows about mutants, he, he's... yeah. It's he's spelling it out for the audience, or is he just like? Is it really the point here that he's gaslighting David? He's like, mm-hmm. are you telling me that you switched bodies with her? Uh, when he knows that that's possible, yeah, right. Yeah, I think he's yeah he's gaslighting David, or just right messing with David. Um, uh, the significance of Sid taking all the doors away right. when she when she's in David's body, her first act like she doesn't she can't control him and so what she does is herself which is shuts everyone out that's all right. Sid wants is to be on this island she said that earlier in the episode is that her ideal dream is to be alone on an island in the palm tree and as soon as she has the opportunity to make that happen she does she shuts everyone in their rooms and makes the doors disappear so they can't get to her at all no one can touch her right yeah, absolutely. And she kills Lenny accidentally or because she was a threat. That is completely unclear, and that's an interesting thing to how, talk about. How was she a threat? To her relationship with David. She Lenny's good friends with David. Yeah. Is she a threat in that way? No. Lenny can touch him. But Lenny Maybe. is very non-sexual. Like, there's no or, chemistry at all. There's no, like... I don't think Lenny's non-sexual. I think Lenny's lesbian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She doesn't say that. Doesn't she doesn't have a sexual attraction to David. Yes. Lenny and David's relationship is non-sexual, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Uh, isn't your hurry is David in Sid's body out of the hospital, ignoring David's insistence that he is not Sid? A car pulls up and two mysterious strangers step out, followed by someone David now recognizes as Hamish the interrogator. Hamish denies it, and David grows more and more agitated until the mysterious man with a clouded eye and a perm slams David's head against the table, and Hamish's pen flies across the room and impales Hamish in the cheek. Oh, oh, pen in the face, pen in the face. It's so gross. I don't like it at all. <laughs> Division One supervisor orders them to use the gas, and David flips the red table over, sending all the people in the room flying and impaling shards of the table into the walls. They use the gas, and David collapses. And it's all slow motion. Yeah, the, the time flipping. slows as he flips like, it. Is he experiencing it in slow motion? This is the other thing I wondered about, about these times when he is losing control and everything is flying around him. Is he experiencing that as slowly as we are? Because it almost feels like sometimes he is. Is it part of his power that he is control? Like, this is again how much of what we experience in this show is style of the show and how much is, you know, is this a show that feels surreal but is actually in realism? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually exactly. showing us what is happening in the world. David has mental powers that allow him to control the speed of time and he slows time down. And they're not showing us this in slow motion. They're showing us that in real time, but he just flips the table very slowly. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. That's yeah. what I feel like is happening. But maybe not. Um, 
once with all the holes in the ground. Like at this point, as David collapses, he collapses with his face on the ground and we dig down into a hole down in the ground. Back in the hospital when the bed was floating and the, the, the voice asks if the yellow devil with yellow eyes is in the room, we dig down into like a, a yeah, hole, hole in, in the, the wall. wall. What's up with that? I don't know. It's like birth. It's yeah. what I felt like. When I saw it both times, it felt, especially the first time in the wall, felt like... A birth canal. Right. And maybe this is a rebirth of him? I'm not sure. Maybe. The, definitely the moment in the interrogation room feels more, it seems easier to read that as a rebirth than his nightmare in the hospital. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, there's something, I mean... It, it's so jumping around in time that it's unclear as to what goes when, though. Right. Very true. And the, I mean, the idea that there's something underneath it all like there's mm. literally there's something yeah. beneath all of this yeah right there's a lot of tunnels there's a lot of water yeah and holes and things like that and so it's a lot of like something beneath like the surface there's something beneath the surface there's something about i think it's birth that's my my uh, interpretation is that it's right. about it's about a rebirth and this whole episode is about a brand new thing is about to happen to david is this a moment where David realizes he has mutant powers? Like, as he flips the table, he seems defiant and satisfied in himself, and it seems like a real power moment for him, you know, in a, a personal character way, not just mm-hmm. in, a, like, using powers in a superhero kind of way. But then he, the we next time we he, see him, he's back to not believing that he has real power. He, He's done this before. Like, this isn't the first time he's caused this kind of chaos. The, the kitchen scene is him right. causing all sorts of things flying around. He knows that he can do it, but he thinks that he's dreaming it. I don't he know. Thinks he's it's, delusional. Thinks he's delusional. <sighs> it's, it's, yeah, it's unclear. We flash back to David as Sid in a coffee shop outside, interspersed with other flashbacks of David as a child, and a voiceover of David's mother, David, my boy. Suddenly David's himself again. Flash to Halloween. David carrying Sid's green suitcase stands at the door with two kids in prisoner costumes. It's Amy's house. He needs a place to stay and she welcomes him in. Amy and her husband Ben feed David waffles and then give him a bed in the basement for the night. Amy's awkward but hugs him and tells him that it will all be good. David turns on a lamp that he remembers from his childhood and suddenly Lenny appears. She's dead, and David killed her, but she's not mad. She warns David that they are coming for David, and they're going to kill him. David lashes out telekinetically and smashes the lamp. That night, David dreams of dancing in clockworks with Sid. The part with his sister, he comes home on Halloween, and he's there, and he's escaped from the mental hospital. He's not supposed to be out. Right. And he stands at her doorway, and there's these two kids dressed as basically escaped prisoners. Yeah. (laughs) It's like... And then they... And he's the third one. He's the third escaped prisoner. And one of them turns to him and says, what are you supposed to be? And it's like, you know, it's obviously a kid asking about uh, costumes, but it's also, you know, a thesis statement for the series. Yeah. What are you supposed to be? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then we have Amy in her bright green again. Yeah. And she puts him in the basement and she says, don't answer the phone. Yeah, what is up with So that? I feel like 
she knows. She I knows feel like he's she knows not really he's, he's not really released because she would have picked him up if he was really released. Right. And she, there's these really obvious gardening tools as she comes down the stairs yeah. and he sits down. And later on, she'll gather those up. And I noticed that right away, the first time I watched this episode, I was like, oh my goodness, those are going to stab someone. I was really scared. And then like, she knew, she noticed that too. She was on yeah. the same wavelength as me. I actually really love it when she comes back down and is, is the, tries to <laughs> subtly take all the sharp things off the wall. Yeah. Um, but when we have David and Sid's body and then back to David and David's body, does Sid's powers make people physically teleport when they switch back? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's what they do. Because that's exactly what happens is he, so the, he turns back into her. His mind, his mind doesn't flip back to where his body is. His body appears where his mind is. Yeah. Like, and his clothes? <laughs> And his I mean, clothes. Yeah. Wow. It's a weird physical... That is weird. Yeah. And, like, how that physically works, super unclear. Yeah. But it's a cool power. Yeah, my goodness. I don't goodness. know how you would use that and how they're going to use that in terms of, like, to fight crime or whatever. But, yeah. She, she ends up... She switches minds with someone and then eventually bodies. Yeah. That is bizarre. Yep, absolutely. Um, also, when he falls asleep and he has a dream of them dancing in the in Clockworks, I, I'm a, I'm reading it as that's a dream. Yes. What is up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What I noticed about that part, and we're jumping ahead a little bit because I want to talk about Lenny, but that part, they it's a French song, but they're dancing Bollywood. Yeah. And like, it's like, it should be a Bollywood song, but it's this weird French song. What is it? Are you know French? It's what called it? Pauvre Lola. The words, I mean, I, I didn't find, I didn't look up and find out the whole words, but the beginning and what is repeated often is one way of translating it is you have to stretch without stretching. Hmm. Or you could say you have to know how to expand without spilling yourself. Hmm. It's delicate. Ooh. You have to know how to expand without spilling yourself. It's delicate. Poor Lola. Huh. And that seems appropriate to both yes. of them. Yeah, frankly. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, it's kind of a cool scene. I like <laughs> the dance. I'm like, I'm a musical person. And so I'm like, there's a little musical montage, but this episode runs long and it doesn't feel like it fits. I'm not really sure what's yeah, the dance sequence. I said in our intro episode that some parts of this show remind me of a Wes Anderson. Yeah. That's a moment that seems very Wes Anderson to me. Yeah. Like they suddenly have this surreal dance sequence that's all choreographed and it's a dream sequence, but basically. I, I think it is a dream sequence. Yeah. But what do you want to say about Lenny? I just want to go back to like he turns on the lamp. And it's a star lamp. It's, mm-hmm. this con- it's all these constellations, which will be significant in the future. Sh- Lenny shows up. And so, like, now Lenny lives in his head. Yeah. Like, she's there on the tricycle. What? And talks to him about Sid, about being in someone else's body. Mm-hmm. Uh, she talks in a very male way about, like, 
wasn't it fun to feel titties and blah, blah, blah. Well, she's female. Why would she think like, yeah, that was a little bit odd. Like she talks in a very, and there's a androgynous male way. That's there's a external to the actual logic of the show. There's a reason that we can say, uh, Lenny was originally imagined as like a 30 year old man. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they, cast uh, Aubrey Plaza and she insisted that they not change any of the dialogue just because they changed the casting. Yeah. Um, But knowing that doesn't necessarily change anything in terms of Mm -hmm. like, what is this person? (laughs) Well, and then she irritates him. She's like, oh, they're coming for you. They're coming for you. They're coming for you. And he goes a little crazy and he telepathically throws the lamp, which smashes. and And his sister comes down. And there's this like mirror or this reflective surface in the floor, and Lenny is in that reflective surface the entire time him and his right. sister are talking to each other. And so she's there still. So is she not really dead? And she's also a mutant? Does she live in his head and is now his head friend now? Was she always in his head? And the way that she gets, I mean, when she appears on the tricycle in the basement, She's recognizably the same character, but she's not acting the same as she was in the mental hospital. Mm, like she yeah. seems, she's seems much more. What she was before was like she was uh, giving a monologue to his internal monologue, like saying out loud what he's thinking in some kind of way. Yeah, she had this uh, same, you know, verbal diarrhea. Doesn't ever stop talking. Says things that uh, the same aspect. In the basement, she's way more antagonistic to him, mm-hmm. directly confronting him. She's not seems she doesn't seem as clearly to be saying what we would otherwise assume he's thinking. Even though now is the time when maybe she is she really is an aspect of himself. That when she wasn't an aspect of him, she was more reflecting an aspect of him. Yeah. And now that she is, she isn't. Um, and he, also, she's styled differently, right? Oh yeah. Let's look at that. Her hair, hair is, totally is different. all wild and crazy in the mental... I'm crazy. Her <laughs> hair is wild and unkempt in the mental institution. And when she appears in the basement, it's all slicked back and controlled. Yeah. And her hair... And, her, and she's wearing a completely different She's wearing a completely different outfit. Yeah. Yeah. So is she... Is she an aspect of his mind? Is she a third... Like, is she a... Something that's neither the original... Lenny nor David is she Lenny's consciousness has can attached itself to David is she a ghost is she I don't know and yeah. I don't know what if any connection this person that we see in the basement actually has to the person we saw dead impaled on a wall yeah absolutely are those because she had to be real in that aspect because she died, she was in the wall, other people outside of David refer to her, and Sid sees her. Yeah. And that is the incident, is a girl a girl is dead, and so Lenny is that girl who is dead. Right. But that's all the reality that we know. Probably. And <laughs> what we and if all the flashbacks are presumably told by David to Hamish the interrogator, we know he's not a reliable narrator at this point. Mm -hmm. So that what he's telling Hamish about what has happened in the past 
like the fact that in his story of his experience, other people noticed Lenny actually doesn't necessarily mean that other people noticed Lenny. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? But I don't think you have had, I think you, after watching this first episode the first time, you wondered whether Lenny existed, really existed in the mental hospital, and now you've come to the conclusion that she Yes, did. because of the the interrogator saying she and was in the, it was in right. the wall, there is a girl, there is someone named Lenny who was in a wall. I never doubted that Lenny in the mental hospital really existed as a person separate from David, but I do have serious, like, I, I have no idea really whether the person who is appearing to David in the basement has any connection at all to that person who yes. lived in the mental hospital. Yeah. <sighs> um, that night, David dreams of dancing in clockworks with Sid. He wakes up in the present strapped to a chair in a pool with power cables. Hamish is tired of screwing around. He wants answers, but David thinks he's delusional. He went looking for Sid, but couldn't find her. We flash back to him on a payphone, learning that the hospital has no record of Sid. The mysterious strangers from the car outside the mental hospital show up, and David runs away. They pursue him. As David walks away from them, he sees Sid's face on the back of a man's head. She's not really there. She's only in his memory. She's been projected into his memory. She will tell him everything soon, but now she tells him to slide into the water. The people who have him are not cops yeah we already we pretty are pretty much had guessed that that this was i mean we hear division one it's something weird we know that they're not cops i mean yeah. we don't necessarily know that they're i suppose we don't necessarily know that they're malevolent except that they want to kill him yes, <laughs> so exactly. we do know that yeah, they're malevolent. Malevolent. i think in, in this section the fact that like we know that hamish has been gaslighting David, because he doesn't, but he claims not to believe that David can move things with his mind, even though he knows that David can. So when, when the man, when Hamish says, you know, the girl who disappeared, we have no record of her. I had presumed that he was lying, but then David calls and the hospital also says they have no record of her. So is the hospital manipulate, is the hospital part of the division one is division one, lying to the hospital is what has happened to the records of Sid. I think the people who took her away, the people who were about to find out about the main characters are expunged her records somehow. Right. I think that's what that had so happened. They because it seems her. like in the future division one is controlling that hospital. Right. And so it's, they've taken Sid out and taken her records away. Right. Is my theory. In the, when, when they're walking along in the memory and Sid's face appears on the back of the guy's head, it really made me think of uh, Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bald guy makes you, makes you think of Professor X too. Yeah. Any, any bald de- yeah, man definitely a bald also, man in an X-Man show. Uh, there's no way he's, yeah, he that's not, that's not by accident, but I don't know if we'll ever meet Professor X in this show. No. And I know that I've seen uh, interviews that have said that, um, Neither Patrick Stewart nor James McAvoy will ever appear on the show, and Noah Hawley thinks that maybe Professor X will appear at some point. So it seems like at, for this season, or for the immediate plans, there's no immediate plans to have Professor X appear. Yeah, and I'd rather... Yeah, yeah I, I I like the show as it is, uh, B, 
being fairly X-Men light. Yeah. Being something that we've never seen before and bringing in these well-known, well-trod characters would be a mistake, definitely, especially at this early in the show, mm-hmm. in my opinion. The projecting into his memories is very Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, right? yeah, Speaking that's of true. other movies that this reminds me of, Eternal yeah. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is the other one that, like, psychedelic and surreal, but uh, maybe that's the realism of the world that you're experiencing. Yes, exactly. Um, David awakens in the pool and starts to follow Memory Sid's instructions, sliding into the water. He remembers now Hamish wasn't at the hospital. Everyone's afraid of David as he slides into the pool. There's a blast of fire, and the charred skeletal remains of the guards fall into the pool. Sid is there with the two strangers who chased him. Sid introduces them as Potonomy and Carrie. Four of them run outside into the middle of a firefight. There are people here who clearly have mutant powers. One of them is throwing the enemies uh, telekinetically telekinetically around. And David and company flee towards a boat. David stops Sid before they can get to safety. He has to know, is this real? Is she real? She assures him it is real and she loves him, but they have to run. Sid introduces David to Melanie Bird, the apparent leader of the group that rescued him. He takes her hand, and we end the episode. With the Legion logo that we didn't see at the beginning, the big X in the O. The X in the, that, that makes it clear that this is an X-Men show. Yeah. If you didn't know, you yeah. end the series, the so, episode, knowing that it's an X-Men okay, show. Okay, so he's in the pool. Yep. And she, he's starting to slide down. And all of this red crack, the air starts crackling red. Yeah. There's all these like red light, but not like lights, but like sparkles in the air. Yeah. And then he goes into the pool, things go red, but not the same red. Yeah. It's a different, it's a fire red this time. And the charred remains of these guards go into the water. Like this is a power. This and is... whose power is it? We do not know. No, as of, again, uh, this is a, maybe a little spoilery of things that don't happen, but as of four episodes in, we have not again met this person with fire powers. Yeah. Maybe we've met them and don't know that they have these fire powers. And the telekinetic guy, we don't know who he is and we haven't met him again. I don't know yeah. his name. The, the It seems like um, Hamish Linklater is holding this trigger to electrocute the water and it seems like David uses his power to make the trigger disappear because suddenly Hamish's hand is empty and he doesn't know where it ha- what oh, happened to it I didn't as that. David slides into the water. But the fire, I don't think, That's is, not is, is not them and it's not David. It's mm-hmm. someone with Sid and her. And well, and Sid says when the lights appear, don't come up until you see my face. So right. like she knows what's about she to happen. She knows something's going to happen. She knows specifically what's going to happen with lights and fire. I wonder what happens to the trigger, because I thought, like, why isn't David electrocuted when he goes into the pool? The trigger disappears. Oh, trigger disappears. Yeah, the trigger, he makes the trigger disappear, and I think it's him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why does he see... So we have the people getting out of the car at the hospital, and it's... Uh, Potonomy, Carrie, and Melanie. Yes, and that's who it actually was. That's who it actually was, played by Jean Smart. So it's an instantly, I mean, for me at least, she's a recognizable, recognizable actress yep. that she brings a lot of, you know, 
She was also in Fargo, by the way. Oh, there you go. She was in Designing Women, though. Yes. That's really what she's <laughs> she, uh Anyway, why did he see Hamish then yeah. before? Was it just his mind playing tricks on him? Was he, like, does she have a power to change his memory so that, or is it, like, is his mem- was his memory changed so that he wouldn't remember her? She's shielded because she's important in the future episodes. Like, and so she, he doesn't want, she wouldn't want David telling Hamish about her. No. So she, or has his memory changed? Maybe. Or is it all him? Or is it all him? Because we have, you know, by the end of the episode, we know, and you know, they, Next time on Legion, we have, you know, you're not psychotic. It was all your 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 superpower all along. But I don't think it's as simple as that. No, right? definitely that not. Whether it's, uh, whether it's caused by brain chemicals, as the psychiatrist wants to tell him, or whether it's caused by trauma, or whether it's caused by what? Like, David has uh, mental health issues, as well as having... Mm-hmm. mental superpowers yeah. so his memory can't he can't trust his own memory and maybe it's because something external to him is messing with it maybe it's because his own mind is messing with itself maybe yeah. he's doing it deliberately but when you mess with your own memory deliberately you can't remember doing it obviously obviously like yeah i don't know as the show ends this, you referenced this earlier, as he reaches for Melanie's hand and takes it in the background among what's now real foliage, mm-hmm. the devil with yellow eyes is there hidden among the this the scene you were referencing earlier yeah. where there's always a man hidden in the walls of the well, of clockworks. Now say, the devil with yellow eyes is hidden there. He's there. David looks back and sees him. So he's there before David sees him. David looks back, sees him there. Ignores him, takes Melanie's hand, and he's gone. And looks back to see him gone. And so he's there before David looks right. to find him there. Which does that mean that he's external to him, but he still disappears? He still disappears. And does he, if he, when he disappears, when David takes Melanie's hand, does Melanie somehow able to banish him? We haven't yes. again. Uh, no spoilers, but we haven't. We don't know much, even four episodes in, about exactly what Melanie's deal is. Yeah, what are her powers? Does she, she have powers? She hangs out with people with super, with mutant powers, but so far we have not seen her exhibiting any. Mm-hmm. Or at least we haven't obviously seen her exhibiting yeah. any. But is that maybe something about her? The scene where they're escaping from the pool and the school or whatever it is, is super video gamey. Yes. It's so like it felt like something they're in a video game and like the guy the the telekinetic guy is like the main character. He's just like banishing everyone and getting everyone to safety. Like this is his quest right now. So yeah, it's like you see this totally side agreed. this side guy who doesn't even have a name. This is his quest <laughs> is to do this. It's to rescue <laughs> to rescue this. And to earlier, rescue the hostages. And earlier in the episode, they're when they go in to the hospital and all the doors are, are sealed or all the, the doors are missing. The music there really reminded me of Portal. Yeah, agreed. And it yeah, was very, and it was that. very like video gamey Portal music. <laughs> and it's funny. I so parts I, of it are yeah. I noticed the Portal music at that time, but I didn't say it out loud and to myself until now to realize that like 
you go to um to an institution where there aren't doors where there should be, so you play portal music. <laughs> right, she can portal yes. through. Like if, if only she had a portal gun. <laughs> that's a good point. I don't know if that's intentional at all. But no, but it just happened to remind me of portal. Yeah, me too. Um, so questions for me about this entire episode. Now that we've come to mm-hmm. the end of the episode. Major one, I mean, we've talked, touched on this a few times throughout, but what is real, and particularly what I'm wondering about is, is the devil with yellow eyes real? And when I say real in this context, I mean, mm-hmm. is he external to David? Yeah. Is he an aspect of David's psyche, or is he something that isn't David that's attacking David somehow? And I like, in the world of X-Men... There's, you know, psychic attacks and other psychics and who, mm-hmm. who manifest themselves not necessarily in a way that is any way representative of their real physical bodies. So is the devil with yellow eyes David? Or My theory is that he is the manifestation of David's mental illness. That he has both mutant powers and mental illness. And the devil with yellow eyes is the mental illness portion, and he sees him when he and is because being at his he most has, mentally ill. And because he has uh, powers, that mental illness manifests itself like physically and can exactly. have physical, or can have you know, and have unpredictable uh, effects outside of David's own mm-hmm. mind. I think my theory may change as we go and get into different episodes, but as of right now, as of this episode, that's my theory. Right. What about you? Yeah, I I think something similar. I think as of this episode that the devil with yellow eyes is an aspect of David. And I, frankly, when we started recording this episode, my thought wasn't quite as, uh, quite where it is when we've ended this, Mm -hmm. because the thought of the angry voices in the hallway in the hospital has got me thinking again that uh, maybe one of David's mental powers rather than mental illness is that there are multiple psychic entities that are all him and exist in his head. Uh, You know, like, uh, you know, multiple personalities, Mm -hmm. but as a psychic phenomenon rather than a mental illness. Okay. My theory is that the devil with yellow eyes is an aspect of David, but a psychic superpower version of multiple personalities. And that David has many voices in his head that are all aspects of him. And Mm -hmm. as an aspect of his person of his superpowers also have power and psychic ability that can influence him. So I think the devil with yellow eyes isn't external to David right now. And that might change as we Mm -hmm. go forward. Um, David is an unreliable narrator, and we definitely know that. If we didn't know that in any other way, we know that because he thinks that Hamish is in the car and then Hamish isn't in the car, right? So what else of the story that we've seen through his eyes is true? How much of the story that we've seen so far is told by him, right? So much of it is told by him because up to the point... when we see him with uh, Hamish in the in the investigation room, has he just been telling that whole story? And if so, 
Can we believe it? Yeah. And even when we're not in a flashback mode, like even when we don't presume that he's telling the story to someone, as a aspect of how this show is produced, how deep into his POV are we? Like, even when it's in the present, yeah. we're very in his POV. Yeah, and well, we I can't mean, trust what he sees. We know that from the very start. We know that from the Happy Jack introduction. Right. That we are, he is central. He is the central focus of that, that montage at the beginning. And we are in his POV point of view, for anyone who doesn't know what POV means. Yeah. He's, we're in his POV from the get-go, and that makes this whole story, all the surreal and weird aspects to it, are a part of his mental state. Yeah. I, I mean, that's one of the things I've read some reviews that some reviewers who have not liked the unreliable narrator aspect mm. of this show, and I personally love it <laughs> yeah I'm a, I'm a fan of unreliable narrators when they're done well when they're done well when you can trust the author when it's not just unreliable because the author doesn't know what's going on either yes and i don't get that sense from the show at all yeah. i feel like they have a plan i want them to have a plan if they end up not having a plan we're going to be angry yeah but i feel like they really have a plan they're they're controlling every aspect of this especially show. watching it again even only four episodes in, but watching this first episode after having seen all four and seeing how many of his flashes are things that carry far more importance even four episodes later. Yeah, absolutely. That made me, I mean, that reassured me that uh, this is all purposeful. Yeah, that we're going somewhere. And I, I definitely had the impression that it was purposeful, but yeah. just a reassurance of that. We've been burned, is the trouble. We We've have. been burn, burned with shows that don't know where they're going, and then that just makes you mad, and I really want this show not to burn me. Yes. And the only way I think it'll get it'll burn me at this point is if it gets cancelled yeah. before it's time. Um, other big question for me at the end of this episode is about Sid, and we touched on this when we first introduced Sid with her black top associating her with the staff. Mm -hmm. Do we trust her? That is... Yeah. You said, you mentioned when we, she first introduced her that maybe she's a plant, and by the end of the episode, we know, like, she's associated with this, with uh, Melanie Bird's team of mutants. Uh, was she sent in by them in the now, first what place? what is the timeline on this? Was she... We just don't know how long it's been since she came out of the hospital. Or even since she came into the hospital. Or since she came into the hospital. Yeah, that's deliberately kind of fuzzy. And if, so if she came into, the, if she'd been out of the hospital for like a year, half a year, several months, there's the possibility that she has been in training with, with uh, Melanie Bird and her, and these mutants for that time. That, that does make sense. But it also feels like she goes into that hospital knowing something. Yeah. She knows that she's not there because she's, a, she is, has a mental illness. And what put her there in the first place, maybe we'll know eventually, but we don't know in this episode. Yeah. And she knows, I mean, she knows that she's not there because of mental illness. And she seems to know that David's not there because of mental yeah. illness. Like, of all the people there. Does she talk to everyone like that? Or does she, does she just recognize, like, him as yeah. not having a mental and illness? And the fact that she's wearing black and is therefore associated with the staff, a sign to us that she's, you know, handling him. Mm -hmm. That she's... 
Oh, and then, like, does that make their whole love story in question? Yeah. But it feels like they actually do have, like, I mean, she could still, she can be planted there and still fall in love with him. That can be a thing that happens. Yeah. But it does put a little bit of a less innocent spin on this very innocent, sweet love story if the whole reason she's there is for him. Yeah. Is to, like, observe him or something. My personal read on it is that she knew something was up. She went into the mental hospital not as a plant, but uh, because she was, you know, sent there by someone she couldn't control for not being normal, just as she says. Mm -hmm. Their love story is genuine. She gets out of the hospital, and uh, that's her first introduction to Melanie Bird's group. And then enough time passes that by the time she comes back, she's connected to them. Mm -hmm. That's my read, but I'm not confident enough of it that if we got information soon that said, oh, she was uh, actually working, she was actually a plant by them all along, I would not feel like the show had lied to me. No, not at all. Right? Yeah. So I'm not... I'm invested in their relationship. I think it's sweet, especially mm-hmm. the little montage, like, worked to tug on my heartstrings. <laughs> I'm invested in their relationship, and I want it to be good and pure, and I want her to be trustworthy for and to be really uh, genuinely looking out for his well-being Yeah, when she says she is. But I'm just not totally and we also, like, confident of that. I'm sure we'll talk about this in the future in future episodes, but she obviously is going to need to have to work on her own issues before yes. she's able to work on his. Exactly. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the whole episode? One of the things I didn't bring up just in terms of aesthetic is uh, the skeletal trees are throughout this entire episode. Right. The yellow, the orange with Halloween. Yeah. So this whole episode, there's just a lot of, uh, like this, this t- the time of year in this episode is fall. Yeah, and, and it's not necessarily just one year. No, but it's always in. I mean, it's definitely not all no, one year. No, it's not like all when he's year. a child. It's still fall. Yeah, yeah, that's so very this true. Is, this is this is an episode about fall, and I want to pay attention in the future to see. I haven't. I don't. I don't know at this point, but I feel like maybe the next episode is going to be more a different season, hmm. and we'll see whether. That we'll continues, see. but I think it will be a thing. Any other general thoughts? No, how about you? No, I'm about, uh, I think, you know, I think we could say more, but I think we're running <laughs> nice and long. long. And I, I'm really looking forward to saying more about the show, to looking into the next couple of episodes. I hope that you, dear listeners, are going to join us on this journey. If you have uh, insights, questions, comments, things that uh, you're surprised we didn't talk about or mention in this episode and you've just been screaming, what about, you know, I'm sure there are enough details to notice that we could have completely missed something that to you was extremely significant. So if you want to continue the conversation, talk about this episode of our podcast or this episode of Legion, the TV show, you can contact us (laughs) on Twitter at ClockworksCast. And we hope you come back for the next episode. We'll see you then. Bye.